Welcome to Archive Treasures. I'm Rosie Hill from the Trentham and District Historical Society. Each episode, we will explore a topic ranging from Irish migration in the 19th century to plane spotting at Cranny's Hill in World War II. As we bring to a close the first season of Trentham Archive Treasures, we revisit some of the anecdotes shared with us during earlier episodes. There have been local legends and tall tales, magnificent myths and sensational stories. Many good fireside yarns have done the rounds, handed down through generations to a sometimes disbelieving or sceptical modern audience. Where did these stories come from? Was there a grain of truth? Or were they embellished out of all recognition? After a bit of rummaging through records and trawling through trove, the kernels of truth behind some of these tales have been uncovered. But fear not. The original versions are just as compelling, and at times dramatic, as the versions we first heard. To round out the episode, reports of other happenings from over the decades have been added to the collection. Stories that we think also deserve to be included as cool country legends. In the early days of newspaper reporting in the area, not much was left to the imagination when reporting accidents. Sensitivities around the reporting of calamitous events appear not to have been a consideration. Indeed, in one report, a lack of suitable incidents requiring graphic coverage is lamented by the correspondent. From the Kiteon Observer, Saturday the 20th of November, 1869, Trentham Blue Mountain, from our own correspondent, Trentham the 17th of November. I regret to say I cannot supply you with any sudden deaths, snake bites or fatal accidents. An accident certainly did occur last night, but I trust it may not prove a dangerous one. Mr John Dougal was down the shaft of the Welcome Quartz mine when a slab, which was being lowered, slipped from its fastening and struck him on the head, causing a frightful wound. His shoulder is also severely injured, but none of the injuries are of so serious a nature as to require his removal to the hospital. Luckily for the reporter, there were usually plenty of opportunities for reporting of gruesome events. Nasty accidents were a frequent occurrence in the new settlement areas. Health and safety standards were still many years off. Expectations of accountability for a safe working environment were very low, as expressed in the following reports. From the Kiteon Guardian, Saturday, the 2nd of February, 1878. On Monday, a most shocking accident occurred in Mr W.D. Christian's Axel Creek Sawmill, by which a poor lad about 14 years of age, named Thomas Cannell, met with his death. It appears that he was at work in the mill when he was caught by a belt and carried into some of the parts of the machinery. His head was literally dashed to pieces, his legs and arms were smashed, and his whole body crushed out of all semblance of humanity. Death must have been instantaneous. A magisterial inquiry was held on Tuesday by James Lyon Esquire, J.P., who, 
after a careful examination of a number of witnesses, arrived at the conclusion that no blame could be attached to anyone and that the lad's death was the result of an accident. From the Kite and Guardian, Wednesday the 13th of February 1878. Latest intelligence, by electric telegraph, from our own correspondent. Fearful accident at Blue Mountain Mill. It is with feelings of deep and sincere regret that we again announce a fatal sawmill accident, the third in the district within the last three weeks, which occurred at Mr Lyon's Blue Mountain Mill to Mr William Brown, the manager, on Thursday last. It appears that the vertical engine had been stopped while the unfortunate deceased was making some alteration in the sawing gear. When he had completed this work, he gave the order to start. It is supposed that he remained below to see how the saw worked when the cage, i.e. the frame of the vertical, came down and crushed his skull. Death must have been instantaneous. On Friday, a magisterial inquiry was held by James Lyon Esquire JP, who was reluctantly compelled to act as no other magistrate could be got. After a most careful examination of a number of witnesses, amongst whom were the brother and brother-in-law of the deceased, all of whom distinctly testified that no blame could possibly be attached to anyone, and after hearing the medical testimony of Dr E.P. Pews, who deposed that death resulted from compound commuted fracture of the skull, a verdict of accidental death was returned. The deceased was 34 years of age, had been for many years manager of Mr Lyons Mill and was most highly respected, not only by his employer, but by all the employees and everyone who was acquainted with him. He leaves a widow and three young children. The internment, which took place at Dalesford, was most numerously and respectably attended. Sawmilling wasn't the only dangerous occupation in the area. Mining also had its fair share of close calls and more serious accidents. From the Kite and Guardian, Saturday the 24th of February, 1872. Yesterday afternoon, a miner named Daniels had a miraculous escape from immediate death. It appears he was working in old ground near the township of Trentham when the roof of the drive suddenly gave way and completely buried him. His mate instantly procured the assistance of some other miners who were fortunately near the spot and with considerable difficulty he was rescued from his perilous position. No bones have been broken, but whether he has received any internal injury is not yet known. This is the same unfortunate man who had lately the misfortune to lose his dwelling house and all he possessed by fire. From the Kite and Guardian, Saturday the 20th of March 1880. Accident in the Salton Reef Claim. A serious accident happened in the Salton Reef mining claim, near Barry's Reef, to a miner named Julian on Saturday last, which narrowly resulted in the death of several persons. A party of men were putting in a blast a short distance away from a crosscut in which Julian and his mate were at work, and on being exploded it blew away the divisional wall and inflicted serious injuries upon both men. Julian was brought into the Kyneton Hospital, where he is now gradually recovering. No bones were broken, but the unfortunate man was seriously bruised around the body and disfigured about the face.
Mining deaths were a frequent occurrence. Competing with sawmilling is one of the most dangerous enterprises. From the Bacchus Marsh Express, Saturday the 29th of April 1874. Fatal mining accident at the Salton Company's claim. On Monday, August the 24th, James Pascoe, a miner working in the Salton mine, came by his death from the explosion of a blast. From the evidence given by several witnesses, the deceased had charged a hole and drawn the shot. He charged it again, and no satisfactory reason can be assigned for the unfortunate man remaining by the shot after he had set fire to the fuse. But by some unaccountable fatality, poor Pascoe remained too long. The evidence of the witnesses proved that there is every facility for retreating out of harm's way when a shot is being fired. And from what I have learned, there is no doubt that Mr Robertson, mining manager, takes every precaution to prevent accidents. He is unsparing of material and has perfected a complete ventilation of the mine. On Tuesday, a magisterial inquiry was held before D.G. Stobie, Esquire, J.P., I have already given an epitome of the evidence. I will only add the evidence of Dr. Plews, who described the appearance of deceased and said death arose from explosion of blast, as stated by previous witnesses. The shot struck the deceased above the eye and blew his brains out. The verdict? That James Pascoe died at Barry's Reef on the 24th of August, 1874, from a compound commuted fracture of the skull caused by the accidental explosion of a blast in the Salton Mine. The deceased was interred in the cemetery on Wednesday. The funeral procession was one of the largest seen in Blackwood. Football tends to bring out strong emotions in each team's supporters. Can you imagine the indignation of the East Trentham footy team supporters at the treatment that they received when travelling to Woodend for this away game. The report of the game, and the events of that day, are described in the following report. From the Kyneton Guardian, Wednesday the 27th of July, 1881. Trentham, from our own correspondent. On Saturday, a football match was played at Woodend between the team belonging to that town and the East Trentham Club. On account of the short notice, the latter team was unable to come into the field in full force and the captain was compelled to recruit from the bystanders, some of whom, I am informed, did more harm than good. When the East Trentham players reached Woodend, they were met by Mr Charles Edward, the secretary for the team, and with him they proceeded to Mr Sampson's when, I understand, they refreshed themselves at their own cost and learned that no dinner or other refreshment had been provided for them. They then ordered dinner for themselves and proceeded to the ground. The East Trentham players at this time numbered 14, under Mr J McInerney, the captain. Play did not commence until 3pm. Woodend went in the field with a full team, some of whom were merely called substitutes, but, curious to say, when the expected players made their appearance and commenced, the substitutes refused to retire, and before the finish there appeared to be three of Woodend to one of East Trentham. Great dissatisfaction is expressed in many ways. The captain of the Woodend team won the toss and decided to kick to the west. 
This choice was of great advantage to the wood-enders, as the wind, which was strong, was all in their favour. It is also said that the field umpire favoured the wood-end team most unfairly. They had two goals kicked when half-time was called, and seeing no sign of any refreshments, the captain of the East Trentham team called his men to try some of the wood-end whisky, a swig of water from the pool on the ground. The result of the game was three goals to Wood End, East Trentham nil. Mr A. Harper acted as a goal umpire for East Trentham and gave satisfactory decisions. Casey kicked two goals for Wood End and played remarkably well. Some of the others whose names I did not get likewise showed up and proved themselves good players, particularly Bryder from Ewham. I mentioned the players for East Trentham in rotation according to their merits. John Rao, John Flanagan, vice-captain, John McInerney, captain, John Richards, T. O'Brien, W. Roberts, E. Toomey, M. McInerney, Thomas Crawford, D. Crawford, W. Middlemass, F. Duns, P. O'Connell and James Hickey. Mr. Ryle's playing was worthy of most special notice. Mr. McInerney, the captain, had met with an accident to his knee a week previous to the match and, as might be expected, was not up to his work. I am informed by some of the East Trentham team that they had been playing matches for the last 10 or 12 years but had never before met with much or shabbier treatment than was accorded to them at Wood End. This is very much to be regretted. I can only say from personal knowledge that if a return match is played at East Trentham, the rival club will not go away empty. Other activities necessary for life in the settlement area also had the potential for serious injury or loss of life at every turn. Other than Shanks's pony, transport was either on or via horse-drawn means. This could be a danger for those not travelling, just as for those who were travelling. From the Kiton Observer, Tuesday the 30th of April 1867. An accident occurred on Sunday morning in front of the Catholic Church, at the intersection of Hutton and Ebden Streets. It appears that at half past 11 o'clock, as Mass was about to commence, a number of people rushed across Ebden Street towards the church, and amongst them, Mr Tobias Purcell, farmer of Trentham, who happens to be rather deaf. Just at the time, a cab was passing around the corner from Hutton Street, and the driver, through want of ordinary caution, drove through the people at a pace rather fast to pass such a crowd. Mr Purcell, owing to his deafness, did not hear the noise of the vehicle, and in consequence was caught by one of the shafts, thrown with some violence onto the metal, and then ran over by the cab. It was very fortunate that he fell obliquely, as if he had fallen horizontally, consequences must have resulted fatally. As it was, the wheel went over his left thigh only, and the injury sustained is but of a temporary nature. Dr Smith was promptly in attendance, and after examining his patient, declared him not to be seriously injured. Mr Purcell was afterwards enabled to ride home, and we understand he is progressing as favourably as possible. From the Kiton Observer, Saturday the 28th of October, 1867. We regret to state that Mr J Bickley, hotel keeper, Trentham, 
met with a serious accident last night on his way home from Kyneton on the Tilden Road, between six and seven o'clock. It was very dark at the time, and two other gentlemen, Mr James Maxwell and Mr Thomas Toomey, were riding along with Mr Bickley in the direction of Tilden. Mr Bickley was a little in advance, and whilst looking to see if the others were coming on, a two-horse conveyance belonging to Mr Lowe's came up, and before either Lowe's or Mr Bickley could pull up, Mr Bickley's horse went right in between the two horses in the conveyance and Mr Bickley was thrown violently to the ground among the horse's feet. He was, we hear, cut considerably about the head, but it is to be hoped that the injuries he received are not of a dangerous nature. It is needless to say that Mr Bickley is a man much respected, and that it was through no unsteadiness on his part that the accident occurred, as it is well known that he is proverbially sober and steady, besides being a good horseman. We were not able to glean any further particulars respecting this unfortunate accident, except that Mr Bickley was not brought back to Kyneton, so that it is to be hoped that he was not so much hurt as was at first reported. Going to sleep while travelling as a passenger in a car, bus or train may be a common occurrence nowadays. It would not have been so easy or smooth a ride on horse-drawn transport, but some did succeed. Sleeping on the job, however, is generally not recommended, and so it was for the following unfortunate fellows, for whom it engendered a painful outcome. From the Kyneton Guardian, Wednesday the 25th of October 1876. Curious Accident A curious accident happened to a carter named Lewis on the Blue Mountain Road on Monday night. Travelling with an empty dray between Tilden and Trentham, and having two very quiet horses, he made himself comfortable and fell asleep. Going up a slight incline, one of the wheels passed over a log of wood, and the jolt had the effect of pitching Lewis out of the dray. One of his feet, however, got entangled in a chain that was hanging at the back of the dray, and, being unable to free himself, he was dragged nearly a hundred yards before he could prevail upon the horses to stop. It luckily happened that the dray was upon the side of the road instead of upon the metal, and to this fact Lewis may attribute his escape from further injuries than a few comparatively slight abrasions and some damage to his clothing. From the Ballarat Star, Saturday the 28th of May, 1881. Blackwood and Barry's Reef, Friday, from our own correspondent. On Saturday last, a man named W. Martin, a carter in the employ of Mr. R. Googe, brewer, Barry's Reef, met with an accident as he was returning from Trentham. About 10pm, the team of four horses came into the brewery yard without the driver. Mr. Googe and others went to look for him and found him lying in the road about half a mile from home. When brought into the reef and examined, it was found that he had four ribs broken and a compound fracture of the shoulder blade, besides being badly cut about the head and face. It is supposed he was sleeping and then thrown off the load through the wagon coming in contact with some fencing that was put up at an embankment as four or five panels were knocked down. He has since been removed to the Kyneton Hospital.
from the Launceston Examiner, Saturday the 12th of August, 1871. The following edifying item of intelligence is given by the Kitan Guardian upon the authority of its Trentham correspondent. At the second meeting of the Trentham Literary Union, the subject was introduced whether men or women were the most useful. After two hours' discussion, which brought to light an unexpected amount of ability, it was decided that both were very well in their way, but that without the cooperation of the female sex, the population of the colony was not likely to increase, except by means of assisted immigration. From the Argus, Friday the 8th of November, 1872. Country News. According to the correspondent of the Kitan Guardian, there lives at Trentham a perfect Samson. He took in his teeth a dining table, ten foot by three foot, weighing upwards of one and a half hundredweight, and carried it from one end of a large room to the other, and brought it back to the place from whence he had taken it. This is a feat which I believe was never before performed in the colony. From the Kitan Observer, Saturday the 5th of March, 1881. What the Bulletin Says The proprietor of the Royal Hotel Trentham begs to intimate to the gentleman who borrowed last week's copy of the Bulletin that it was intended for the use of all his patrons. And if he will furnish him with his name and address, he will order a copy for his special use and have it forwarded to him direct, as it is very annoying to have one's customers disappointed and deprived of the weekly intellectual treat provided them. Archive Treasures, coming from the Trentham and District Historical Society. There is enough material for a whole podcast on the state of the roads in early days. The ongoing situation was cause for frequent complaint, understandably when some of the reports of travel interrupted are heard. From the Kitan Guardian and Woodend and Malmesbury Chronicle, Saturday the 26th of June 1869, Trentham, Friday afternoon, from our own correspondent. The Royal Mail Coach, in proceeding through Trentham yesterday, the 24th instant, was bogged to the axle in the main street, opposite the residence of Mr C. Baker, the passengers, by this mishap, were compelled to alight and wade through the sludge to the Blue Mountain Hotel and passively wait for the extraction of their conveyance from the slough in which it had been embedded. Fortunately, the delay was not of long duration, for after the debarkation of the passengers, the horses were enabled with some difficulty to draw the empty vehicle out of the mud, and then driver, passengers and horses proceeded on their way rejoicing. And then, also, a man named Martin James was driving at a slow pace near Jack's Hotel, Newbury, and one of the wheels, suddenly dropping into one of the numerous crab holes on the road, he was thrown violently from his seat in the wagon. At the moment of his fall, the wagon was passing a stump, and he fell between it and the wheel, receiving several severe bruises from which it will be some time before he recovers. There were frequent entreaties to the authorities to act, and much angst when the measures taken fell short of expectations. The following are just a few of the many letters of correspondence recorded. From the Kitan Guardian, Saturday the 14th of October, 1871. The Road Through Trentham. 
To the editor of the Kiton Guardian, Sir, I wish through your columns to draw the attention of the Shire Surveyor to the unjustifiable delay in the metalling of the road through this town. The ground is as hard now as it will be for the next month, and it is quite in a state to receive metal. The creek near the town is highly dangerous, and every loaded dray gets bogged. No later than Monday, an accident occurred to Mr Andrews of Blue Mountain, who would, to a certainty, have lost his horse had another person not been at hand and assisted with a powerful horse to extricate him. I looked in vain for an account of this narrow escape in your last issue. Where is your Trentham correspondent? The contractors have already had two extensions of time granted. It will, therefore, be the fault of the council if the work is not immediately completed. Your obedient servant, ratepayer, Trentham, the 13th of October, 1871. The reports continue. The state of the roads does not appear to improve over time. Kiton Observer, Saturday the 21st of October, 1871. Our Trentham correspondent writes, One of Mr McKenna's teams got bogged just opposite Osborne's paddock on the main Blue Mountain Road between Tilden and Trentham on Thursday last. The team had been bogged a considerable time before assistance could be got. Fortunately, Mrs Doggett and Edwards were on their way to Trentham and came upon the scene and, by dint of great exertion, managed, with the assistance of several others, to extricate the poor horses, which were more dead than alive. In fact, they were so knocked up that the carter had to employ Mr McCready to take his load on to Trentham. The above is only one of hundreds of such accidents that have happened to unfortunate carters during the last six or seven months. From the Kiton Guardian, Saturday the 12th of October 1872. Trentham, from our own correspondent. Friday afternoon. The only thing that surprises me nowadays is the fact that loaded vehicles sometimes reach us without a fatal or some other description of accident. I have lately ascertained a fact which may in part account for the scarcity of casualties, viz. that teamsters leave the main road and have recourse to byways. With this knowledge in my mind, I was travelling a few days ago between Tilden and Trentham, when I met a commercial traveller named Mr Jones, who consulted me on the best means of reaching his destination. I suggested the newly discovered passage, and accompanied him on his perilous expedition. We had not travelled far when I almost regretted having offered my services as a pilot, but knowing well that the main road would be ten times worse, I consoled myself with the reflection that of two evils, it is best to choose the least. I can scarcely describe the journey. When one axle was bedded in the mud, the wheel on the other side was a foot from the ground. At times, Mr John was brought up by a digger's hole, covered with grass, within a yard of his horse's forefeet. Logs had to be removed from the path, and others jumped over, conveyance and all. In fact, I don't know how he ever effected a passage. Skilful driving was, I firmly believe, at the bottom of it, or trap, goods and all would have been at the bottom of a 30 or 40 foot hole. And, 
This is the track which every driver prefers to the main road between the civilised town of Kyneton and the semi-barbarous village of Trentham. I could not help admiring the dexterous nature in which Mr Johns handled his team, but I feel certain that the poor horses, good ones by the way, will require a good rest before resuming their journey. Had a less patient or skilful driver held the ribbons, the trap and contents would never have reached Trentham. Sometimes, things happen that really are just in a class of their own. From the Kite and Guardian and Woodend and Malmesbury Chronicles, Saturday the 12th of April, 1869. An extraordinary act of self-destruction was committed at the Blue Mountains on Tuesday. A woman, residing in the locality, fell down one of the numerous abandoned shafts in the neighbourhood of Trentham. Her whereabouts was discovered and arrangements made for releasing her from her uncomfortable position. Ropes were securely fastened to her body, and she was being hauled up the shaft in safety. At this time, there were a number of persons congregated around the mouth of the shaft, amongst others, a man named Joseph Brown, who had recently been drinking to excess. Before the woman was extricated from the shaft, Brown, apparently seized with a sudden impulse, threw up his arms and deliberately plunged, head foremost, down the hole. The act was done in an instant, without warning or anything like premeditation. As soon as the bystanders had recovered from their astonishment, the shaft, which is about 70 feet deep, was descended. But the unfortunate man was quite dead. In fact, death must have been instantaneous, for the skull was fractured in a half a dozen places. The body was removed to the Blue Mountain Hotel, Trentham, where an inquest was held before Dr Geary and a jury of 12 on Wednesday. After hearing the evidence, the jury returned a verdict to the effect that the deceased, Joseph Brown, died from the effects of a fall into a shaft while labouring under a fit of temporary insanity induced by excessive drinking. It remains to add that the woman, whose accident was to some extent the cause of this fatal occurrence, though found to be badly hurt, is progressing favourably, and no fears are entertained as to her ultimate recovery. Through necessity of the times, youngsters were introduced to horse riding, and at an early age. This didn't always go well. From the Kyneton Observer, Tuesday the 19th of January 1869, Trentham Blue Mountain, from our own correspondent, Saturday. An accident, which might have been attended with fatal results, has occurred to the eldest daughter of Mr J.B. Enders. It appears that Mr Enders placed the girl on his horse's back when the horse bolted. The child, held fast by the bridle and the horse's neck, and succeeded in stopping it. Unfortunately, the father, in his anxiety for the child, ran after the animal calling loudly for her to dismount. This she was unable to do, and the horse again started off. She clung to the horse's neck as long as she was able, and at last fell. Her feet being in the stirrup leather, however, she was dragged along for a considerable distance before the animal could be stopped. As a matter of course, she has received some severe abrasions, but it is hoped that no serious injury has been inflicted. 
Mr Enders reports his child as doing well. No dangerous symptoms have been exhibited. From the Kiton Guardian, Saturday the 3rd of June, 1871. On Thursday afternoon, a little boy, the second son of Mr George Smith, Trentham, met with an accident which might have been attended with most disastrous results. It appears he had been sent on a message on horseback, and, on his return, when near Doctor's Hill, the saddle slipped forward onto the horse's neck, and the little fellow was pitched over his head. Fortunately, the accident was observed, and the boy was conveyed home. Medical aid was immediately procured when it was found that the small bone of his arm was broken near the wrist. This was of course immediately attended to, and the patient is progressing as well as could be anticipated. Horses weren't the only ever-present danger for children growing up in the area, especially those living close to the main industries. From the Kiton Guardian, Saturday the 19th of August, 1871. On Wednesday, a little boy, the son of Mr D. Gleeson of Trentham, had the forefinger of his left hand completely crushed in a winnowing machine. He was immediately taken to the hospital where the finger was amputated, and he is progressing favourably. Kiton Guardian, Wednesday the 26th of January 1876. Trentham, from our own correspondent. Tuesday evening. On Saturday afternoon, I was informed that a little boy in the township had been seized with scarlet fever. The case was reported to the police. Everyone was in a state of intense alarm, and those who had children were sending of post-haste for ozonic ether, sulfuric acid, etc., etc., the alarm, I am happy to learn, has proved a false one, as the little fellow is playing about again, today as usual. Kiton Guardian, Wednesday the 12th of April 1871. At the Blackwood Police Court on Friday, a man named Richard Field was charged with assaulting Catherine Ogden, daughter of Mr Jonathan Ogden of Trentham, with intent to commit a criminal offence. Accused was a lodger in the house, and, according to the evidence of prosecutors, he took advantage of the absence of her father and brother to commit the assault complained of. She repelled his advances with a rolling pin, and it was a somewhat curious feature in the case that the only corroborative evidence of the assault was the marks of the blows which Miss Ogden inflicted on the prisoner's head. The bench dealt summarily with the case and sentenced the prisoner to three months' imprisonment. Saving children was all part of a policeman's lot, but I'm sure Constable Hogan didn't expect his most heroic deed recorded to be the rescue of his own child. From the Kiton Guardian, Saturday the 31st of August, 1878. A gallant rescue. To the editor of the Kiton Guardian. Sir, I wish to report an accident and a gallant act. Everyone who knows the police camp at Trentham also knows it is surrounded by minor shafts and holes ranging from 20 to 50 feet in depth, and it is a disgrace to the authorities to allow them to remain open in the centre of a township. Tonight, as Constable Hogan's two children, five and seven years old, were playing around one of them, the younger boy, by some mishap, tumbled into the hole referred to 
a shaft 25 feet deep, containing at the time 12 feet of water. Immediately his companion commenced to scream out, which attracted the attention of the father, who was inside the house at the time. He immediately ran out and, in the darkness, had difficulty in ascertaining from whence the cries came. That point settled, however, he rushed to the spot pointed out by the child, jumped into the hole, as it appears, in his desperation, and sought a watery grave in preference to seeing his boy drowned. Here, in a narrow hole four feet long by two and a half wide, with twelve feet of water, a desperate struggle with death ensued. Twice, thrice, he got the boy up in front of him and struggled. Twice he went to the bottom with the boy in his arms, determined to save him or die with him. At last, being nearly exhausted, Hogan made a desperate effort and got crosswise in the shaft with his back to one side and his knees to the other. Here he remained, with the boy in his arms above water, or partly so, for some time, until the cries of his wife brought a neighbour to his assistance. And by the time this assistance came, the hold Hogan had with his feet and knees was breaking away, and he felt himself slipping into the water again probably never to rise alive, as he was quite exhausted as well as the boy. A rope being lowered down, it was eagerly grasped by him, and both father and son brought to the surface. They are now quite right again. Sir, I leave you to make your own comment. Is there a humane society in Victoria? If so, this case deserves their attention, and also that of the police authorities. I will ask what is the recompense of one who is prepared to face death in its most awful aspect for the saving of life. Yours, etc., Henry Fisher, Trentham, August the 29th, 1878. Settlers were introduced early to the ever-present threat of fire in regional Victoria. From the Hamilton Spectre and Grange District Advertiser, Wednesday the 14th of March, 1866. A very large and extensive bushfire, being about four miles in length, was raging near the Bullock Creek Hotel on the old track to Tilden on Saturday. Another, in the Blue Mountains past Trentham and between Newham and Mount Blackwood, and a third on the southeast spur of Mount Macedon, close to the township of that name, and on the north side of New Gisborne, from the Herald. Kyneton Observer, Tuesday the 19th of January 1869. Trentham Blue Mountains, from our own correspondent. A rather alarming bushfire occurred on Wednesday, which threatened at one time to destroy the Blue Mountain Hotel and the office of the mining registrar. Through the energetic efforts of the inhabitants, the flames were subdued. In general officers' parlance, we all behaved with such distinguished gallantry it would be invidious to make distinctions, but particular mention must be made of Mr R. H. Horace and Mr Maury Simmons, who remained on their posts all night to watch for any incursion of the enemy. It wasn't just bushfires that were dangerous. Building fires and the use of fire around the home could also pose a danger. From the Kyneton Guardian, Saturday the 20th of October 1877. On Wednesday last, an accident occurred which, but for the timely assistance rendered, might have resulted fatally. A little girl, the daughter of Mr Hamilton, was nursing some chickens before the fire when her clothes got ignited. 
Her screams brought Mrs. McFadden, a neighbour, to her aid, and she succeeded in extinguishing the flames, but was severely burned in doing so. I learn that the little girl, although considerably burned, is doing remarkably well, and no danger is apprehended. From the Leader, Saturday the 29th of January, 1881. A fire broke out at Trentham early on Thursday morning in the wooden produce store of Donald McPherson. The building was a new one and contained a good quantity of hay and grain, together with a complete steam, corn-crushing and chaff-cutting plant. Everything was destroyed. The wind was too strong to give time to save anything except an iron safe and papers. The sparks caught a stack of hay in the paddocks, containing 70 tonnes, which is still burning. The estimated damage is £1,300. The property was insured in the Colonial Mutual Office for £700. The origin of the fire is unknown, but it is supposed to have been caused by some swagmen who were sleeping under the veranda. For locals, the storm of June 2021 will be remembered for the terror and destruction of the wind and the resulting impacts in the immediate aftermath the devastation that remained for months, in some instances years later. Although the ferocity of that storm hasn't been repeated, it was not the first to have a devastating impact on the area. From the Sydney Morning Herald, Wednesday the 9th of October 1867. A good deal of damage was occasioned in the Kyneton district by the storm of Tuesday. The roof of Macpherson's sawmill at Trentham was blown off, and a portion of it, measuring 20 feet by 15 feet, fell upon the roof of a shed close by, smashing it in, and imperilling very much the lives of a man and a boy who were at work there. The man, named James Rogers, was much bruised, and the boy, named William Thompson, was struck down by a bar of iron, and he was buried under the fallen material for some time before he could be extricated. It was then found that he had suffered some severe injuries, but it is hoped that he will recover. From the Kiton Observer, Tuesday the 4th of July, 1871. A Miraculous Escape One of those instances of a narrow escape from a terrible calamity, which may almost be called miraculous, occurred at East Trentham during the late gale. A large tree, growing near the schoolhouse, was blown away from its roots and fell, knocking off a portion of the shingle roof from the school building away from the chimney. The chimney is in the centre of the building, but the tree just missed it. A large number of the children who attended the school were present at the time of the accident, and had the tree fallen across the centre of the building, carrying the chimney with it, it would have crushed the building and buried a large number of children in the ruins, killing a great many of them. Such a providential deliverance is a subject for great thankfulness. It wasn't just storms that caused trees to be a hazard to life. From the Kiton Guardian, Saturday the 8th of September 1877. Trentham, from our own correspondent, Friday morning. I sincerely regret to report that a fatal accident occurred near Lionville yesterday. It appears that young Shearman and another young man named Manley were grubbing trees. And about 10 o'clock in the morning, the mother and sister of the former came to them with lunch as they were nearing the place where they were working, 
A large sapling fell upon Mrs. Shearman and fractured her skull in a most frightful manner. The daughter was hit by one of the branches, but was not seriously injured. Dr. Hutchinson was immediately sent for and lost no time in proceeding to the spot, but death had arrived before him. She only lived about an hour after receiving the injury. Mrs. Robert Shearman, who was about 54 years of age, was much respected in the neighbourhood and great sympathy is felt for her husband by everyone with whom they were acquainted. And then there's trees and fire. Sometimes everything is against you. Trees, fire and just bad luck. From the Herald, Monday the 15th of May, 1882. The following sad story is from the Kite and Guardian. It is not often that a series of misfortunes follow one another so rapidly, as has been the case in the family of Mr Edward Hurlstone, a farmer at East Trentham. In the early part of the year, after having harvested a good crop, a bushfire came through and swept off the whole, including his homestead. Immediately after this, one of his children fell ill through exposure, and he had scarcely begun to recover when the eldest son, a fine tall young man, was struck down through hard work and exposure. And taking the most favourable view of his case, it will be months before he is able to resume work. A crop of potatoes was left on the farm and Mr Hurlstone was looking forward to the produce of this to tide him over his difficulties. But, the paddock in which they were growing, being full of trees, a gale of unusual violence with which the part of the country was visited a few days since tore them nearly all down and covered the potato crop with branches and trunks, rendering it almost valueless. These accumulated misfortunes were too much for the unfortunate man, and he is now lying at death's door. He received a small sum as insurance on his homestead, but this, as may be imagined, is a very trifling resource in such a sea of troubles. Some kind neighbours have started a subscription on his behalf, which will, we hope, be liberally responded to. When the old police station is open in Trentham during summer months, one of the favourite stories you will hear is of the hot summer night when 17 men were locked up in the single cell. What follows is the origin of that legend. From the Argus, Wednesday the 5th of February 1879, Kiton, Tuesday. A serious row among the navvies employed on the Carlsruhe and Dalesford line occurred yesterday at a shanty and store kept by three young men near the Loddon Crossing, six miles from Dalesford. Casks of beer were rolled out and drunk, and the contents of the store pillaged. Constables Hogan and Gordon made 17 arrests, putting the men for the night in the Trentham lock-up, which is only 8 feet by 10 feet. Today, several of the prisoners were put in the police stable and other buildings. The conduct of the police authorities in not providing additional lock-up accommodation is the subject of comment, especially as they had been warned that more accommodation would be required when the railway works commenced. From the Morning Bulletin, Rockhampton, Queensland, Wednesday the 5th of March 1879. Disorderly navvies. Our Argus Kiton correspondent reports. Another violent disturbance took place on Sunday last, February the 16th, 
among the railway navvies employed at the Loddon Crossing near Trentham, on the Dalesford and Carlsruhe line. It will be remembered that a fortnight ago, a serious row occurred at the Aitken and Dashwoods shanty and store at the Loddon Crossing, and that a number of arrests were made, six men receiving several sentences to Casamane Jail in consequence. The row on Saturday last happened at the same locality. The navvies took possession of the store and shanty, rolled out the casks of beer, and held a disgraceful Saturnalia, a farmer named Sorby and his wife receiving maltreatment. Constables Hogan and O'Callaghan, from Trentham, proceeded to the locality, in company with Constable Doherty from Bellato. On proceeding to arrest the ringleaders, the police were mobbed by nearly a hundred infuriated navvies. Four arrests were made, but in the attempt at rescue, one escaped, handcuffed as he was. The constables were very roughly handled, and it is feared that Constable Doherty's injuries will prove serious, he being an elderly man. Mr J Lyon, JP, of the Lyonville Sawmills, was sent for, and he came with eight of his men, or it is probable the constables would have been even worse treated than they were, and that the prisoners would all have been rescued. The prisoners were brought up to the Trentham lock-up and incarcerated there. This is a building eight feet by ten feet, and as there were already four prisoners in it, this made seven in the small space. The lock-up was not so crowded as it was a fortnight ago when 17 were crammed into it, not one of the prisoners being able to sit down. The disgracefully insufficient lock-up accommodation and lack of sufficient police protection at Trentham have been brought before the attention of the authorities on several occasions, but, so far as is known, neither the Acting Chief Secretary nor the Head of the Police Force has made the slightest attempt to remedy these evils. And there we leave cool country legends for now. Are there more stories? Of course there are. And we will share those with you in future episodes. If you happen to be in Trentham at the weekend over summer, do drop into the old police station in Camp Street and have a look around. We promise not to lock you up in the single cell. Well, not for the night with 16 other people anyway. For now though, This is the final podcast for Season 1. We are having a little break over summer, but planning is already well underway for Season 2. So in the new year, look out for the return of Trentham Archive Treasures. Archive Treasures is produced on Zha Zha Wurrung country. We acknowledge and pay respects to the traditional owners, and we would also like to extend our respects to the elders, past, present and emerging. Archive Treasures is brought to you by the Trentham and District Historical Society. If you would like to hear further episodes, they are available from most podcasting apps or on our website www.trenthamhistoricalsociety.org.au or you can go to our Facebook page Trentham and Districts Historical Society Australia. I hope you can tune in next time for more archive treasures.